Welcome to episode 91 of the Swamp Flicks Podcast. Ooh. 91. 91. We're getting there. We're almost to 100. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Brandon Lede. And I'm James Cohn. And we are recording in James's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. And this is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swamp Flicks. Uh, you and I both just got back from out of, being out of town. Yeah. I'm very sun damaged. I just went tubing in Mississippi I just an got, hour ago. <laughs> yeah, I just got back from Colorado just hiking and camping and whatnot so we're both exhausted we're both zonked, yeah. totally <laughs> how was the trip oh my god it's so nice out there yeah cooler i'm assuming yeah it's funny to be in a place where you know it gets dark and the weather actually changes mm-hmm. it's like oh it actually gets cool at night and it's cool in the mornings and here it just stays at 90 degrees no matter what. I still, the couple times I went out of town this year and I came back, I really loved that like warm blanket of humidity at the airport. It feels awful, but it feels so familiar. You're it like, is oh, familiar. I'm back in the atmosphere that I yeah. belong in. Nasty soup. Yeah, and it's just, man, Colorado is just so nice, dude. Yeah, it's beautiful. I like doing all that outdoor stuff. Not really a whole lot of options here to do that. So, yeah, it's just some hiking and um, tried a lot of, beers went to a bunch of breweries so it's like a brewery on every, every corner, corner. Yeah. <laughs> spent some time in boulder too pretty cool city so yeah it was a really nice trip it took some adjusting getting back having to go to work that first day is always a bummer rough yeah well all i did was float down a river and drink red wine and read a book so i think i had <laughs> a much less strenuous trip. i can tell you you look very crispy yeah today. i'm sunburnt to hell it's like a vitiligo uh <laughs> I got that Neapolitan swirl. I got patches of tan and large patches of tomato red and then uh, some white patches that I managed to hide from the sun while I was in the water. Yeah. Uh, So all three flavors. (laughs) Well, today we're going to be talking about a lot of dumb action movies that we probably won't have that much to say about. Well, this is your idea. You got into Jason Statham. This was me trying to reconfigure something I've been doing just on my own into like an episode. I've been watching a lot of his movies in the past few weeks, just trying mm-hmm. to figure out who he is and like I still what his know. deal is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think pretty, pretty much got it by the time we watched all of these, I think. Okay. Well maybe you can illuminate Enlighten you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Have you had time to watch other movies while you've been out and about? Uh, the only thing, you know, cause I was on vacation for like a week. So obviously didn't really watch much, but uh, me and my girlfriend had gotten into a discussion about melodrama and like what it means and how it's kind of a pejorative when people call something melodramatic. And I was like, no, there's great melodrama. Douglas Sirk is who I brought up. And so we watched a few of his movies while we were on vacation. All the Heaven Allows, which is fantastic. That's his best. Yeah, probably his best. I And then we also watch um, Written on the Wind. I love that one too. Which is really good. Yeah. Uh, I love those two are in my mind, like his best. That one's got a lot of hard drinking Southerners. Uh. Oh yeah. Robert Stack <laughs> is just like a complete mess yeah. in that movie. And what's the other one we watch? Imitation of, of life. life. Yeah. Really like his stuff is so good. I know you and CC already did an episode on Douglas Sirk. But yeah. And those were the three, the exact three we watched too. Yeah. They're the best. The color is just so highly saturated. And I love the, I don't want to use the term melodramatic, but like the way the dialogue is written and just like these over the top scenarios and people crying all the time and the strings, he makes just like beautiful 
movies, like just to look at. They're gorgeous. And when they were first released, they were mostly like derided as women's pictures. Yeah, weepies. Weepies, yeah. Mm -hmm. Basically like soap operas for women. But if you look at them, they're they're like art objects. The lighting and the coloration. Right. Just like. One also there's like a deep social commentary mm -hmm. in all of his films that I don't know if it's like he was working within the Hollywood system while also like critiquing the system and the like dominant modes of thinking at the time. I mean, imitation of life most so even though it's a remake. It's right. It's very like racial politics in America. But the fact that he could like put that out there in like a mainstream movie that's like marketed to women and I think a lot of his stuff has been reevaluated over the years. And they're like, no, this guy was doing something really special. They've it all gotten their criterion uh, restorations and their like box sets and all that stuff. Yeah. So that, that was pretty much um, all I watched when I was on vacation. Where did you watch them when you were on vacation? So we camped in Rocky Mountain Park for uh -huh. like five days. Uh, but we did have a couple days in Boulder at an Airbnb. So... Uh, it was so, so nice, like not being able to shower for fighting and then finally getting to an Airbnb and taking a hot shower and like had the internet being able to watch a few movies. Like on a laptop? Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. We actually watched them on my phone. We just like, <laughs> huddled up on the couch. Classic like, watching a little. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't do it justice <laughs> on the little iPhone screen. Yeah. But yeah, it was nice to kind of do some, some more modern stuff after being in the mountains yeah. for so long. But what about you? Have you been watching anything recently? A good bit. I saw a couple three-hour movies in the theater in the past couple weeks. What, the new It? No, I didn't see that yet. I, I went to see Midsummer's Extended Cut. Oh, yeah. My friend Colleen was in town recently, and her and her husband saw it, and she was kind of telling me the differences between the theatrical and the... It seems like they just kind of had more characterization or a few scenes that kind of added depth. To some of the the characters, I wouldn't even say depth. I would say it like made some stuff obvious. Like Christian as like the villain of the story, as like the asshole boyfriend. I think with the extended scenes of him being a dick, like it makes it more obvious, like how much of like an unsupportive, lazy but person see, he is. That bothers me a little bit because what I liked about the theatrical cut I saw was that. He is a dick, but he also, he seems like the kind of guy, like, he's not necessarily a bad guy. He's just, like, a really bad boyfriend. Yeah, there's some ambiguity, and, like, I know everyone knows, like, someone like that, where it's like, oh, he's not a bad dude. He just, like, is kind of a fuck-up and does bad shit. And See, I disagree with that. Though. Really? Like, I think he is so lazy emotionally and, like, intellectually that it becomes actively... Harmful. You think so? But I don't think the extended cut adds anything that you wouldn't see in the original. Oh, see, it seemed like it made it more like he's actually a dick, not just like absent-minded. I didn't like... think any differently of him in either cut. Oh, it was really? just more for me. But maybe if you were a little more on the fence, it would have like pushed you more in one direction. Yeah. But I think like the fact that the only reason this relationship is going on is because he won't do the work to break up with her. And right. he's basically like waiting it out for her to break up with him. Right. And then... Later on, when his buddy uh, disappears at the same time that their sacred text, basically their cult Bible, disappears. And he's like, we don't want to be associated with him at all. I just want you to know we have nothing to do with that guy. Or Danny will come up to him and say, like, hey, those two kids from London disappeared. And he goes, oh, that's really messed up. That's sad. Anyway, uh, and he turns over to the cult people. He's like, what are your mating rituals like? That stuff is all in the original cut. 
and to me that's all like him not doing any work and well, like avoiding yeah, and, responsibility and stealing his other guy's thesis yeah you know was the most blatant example yeah and he's just actively a villain by inactively living his life like he just floats through life and lives well, off of other people's labor okay so this is tangentially related in a weird way so the actor that plays i forget the character's name but chidi from good place yeah william jackson harper i think yeah yeah i, I was talking to a friend last night about because we started watching the third season of good place and i was like man like does chidi really deserve to go to hell like he's a really good dude he just like is indecisive is that enough to like send someone to hell and i don't know i think it's sort of related to midsummer it's just like complete inaction and undecisiveness does have harmful effects to the people around you yeah and so in that way maybe like chidi does deserve to go to the bad place anyway that's sort of what that reminds me it's like yeah that's why i said like i never really saw him as like a bad dude just like get your shit together, make a decision and like break up with this girl. If you want to break up with her, do your own thesis, like stop being so lazy, but not necessarily like bad at his core. You but know he's I mean? not taking responsibility for the fact that his actions have consequences, even though he sees those consequences. Right. So he is making a moral decision by choosing not to act. It's like when you're going to break up with somebody and you ghost them, like technically you didn't, you know, break their heart, but it was almost even worse that you just like left them hanging and left them mm-hmm. like stewing and true, true. That kind of thing. Yeah. But anyway, all that stuff's in the original. I don't think the extended cut was any better. I think the original was a better cut. It's like streamlined breezy, even though it's like two hours and 40 minutes, it like flew by for me. It does. Yeah. Uh, the extra 20 minutes in this, I felt it like it felt a little longer, mm-hmm. but I'm still really glad I saw it. We never really talked about this movie on the show. Like, this is my favorite movie I've seen all year, I think. Me too. Yeah. I definitely see this being in the running for top pick of the year. Yeah, this and like Knife and Heart, I think, are like two of our favorites as a group. But even seeing it a second time with all the extra stuff added that I don't think was necessary, I still appreciated that they re-released it in its extended form because of two reasons. One, I noticed a bunch more stuff being telegraphed early on. Like, Aster likes to do this thing where he tell, like uh, the director likes to do this thing where he tells you exactly what's going to happen, and then you see it coming, and then you have to watch it, and the camera doesn't like pull away, and there's like dread in that. I remember there being some like pictures, yeah, early like, on art. Yeah, the art is like foreshadowing for the ending. Yeah. But even more so when you rewatch it, like there's jokes about bears in it, uh-huh. and like Pele, the uh, Swedish guy who like brings them to the cult, he basically tells them everything that's going to happen. Anytime they ask him a question, he basically tells them the truth and they kind of like laugh it off that he's like being uh-huh. extreme. Uh, so he's even actively a menace on your second watch where you don't really notice that the first time. So I don't know, just stuff like that. It's it's really worth the second watch. If you happen to miss the extended cut, it's basically like watching the deleted scenes in a DVD menu. Mm-hmm. Like you're not going to miss much. Well, you know, that does remind me of one other movie I watched the other day because it was... Um Friday the 13th and it was a full moon. So we're uh-huh. like, oh, we got to watch a horror movie. That's when we went camping was that night. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> the moon was gnarly that yeah, night it too. Beautiful. It was out. No, we decided to watch the witch again, which was that our top movie from yeah, like two whatever years? year that was. Yeah. Yeah. I'd only seen it that one time and kind of like what you're saying with midsummer rewatching a second time. I picked up on a lot of stuff that I didn't really get the first viewing and it's, 
just so fucking good, dude. But it, kind of the same thing. Like it sort of tells you very early on what's going to happen. You yeah. Just, the dread of like kind of knowing what's going to happen and then watching it play out is something I like in a lot of these modern horror movies. I would say Midsummer has more of a sense of humor about that than The Witch does. Like it, it's like oh, yeah. laughing the whole time. Yeah. In this like sinister way. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, that setup and payoff is the same. Like, you know this story before you watch it play out. Right. Also, I really liked going to the theater for this too because it was like a special extended cut for people who already liked the movie more or less. Mm -hmm. The crowd that came out for it was a lot more fun. It wasn't people just looking for any old horror movie. It was people who were like more in tune with what this movie's doing. Mm -hmm. So there were people laughing at the jokes in Midsummer and like... Anytime Christian talked, pretty much all the women in the audience were going, "Ugh, shut up!" Because <laughs> he is horrible. So yeah, I, I think it was just like a fun, like sort of fans only victory lap. Uh, yeah. so I'm glad I saw it, even though I don't think that if you missed it, you missed much. You can rewatch the original cut, save yourself 20 minutes, and still get everything that you're going to mm-hmm. get out of it. Cool. I also went to the theater to see a three-hour Indian action blockbuster. Kind of like that movie 2.0 that we talked about on the show earlier this year. I love year. that movie. That was a lot of fun. I went to go see a movie called Saho. It's like S-A-A-H-O. And for the first hour, it's this kind of like standard Fast and Furious ripoff about this like undercover cop who's like trying to bust this like thief ring mm-hmm. who are trying to steal all this gold. The plot doesn't really matter. And then about an hour in, they pull this twist that I've never seen in an action film before. They like completely change the rules of what you've been watching. And then the title comes up Saho. And then a title card that goes, it's showtime. Uh, (laughs) You love it. And then the next two hours are a mix of like fast and furious mission impossible, Mad Max Fury road, Iron Man, Basically every action blockbuster you've seen in the past like 10, 15 years. There's a little Uh bit of Matrix mixed in there for no reason. Just like all thrown in a blender. And the movie has like nothing on its mind. It's all just a series of double crossings. Like someone you thought is a thief is actually a cop. Someone you thought is a cop is actually a thief. Like so on and so forth. And they're like playing each other. Oh man. So the plot is pretty like empty headed. But you know, just those Indian blockbusters are so much fun. Like... Mm -hmm. Just over-the-top CGI tomfoolery. Uh, <laughs> like cars flying upside down so that people can reach out the window and grab a briefcase while it's flying through just, the air. and like Yeah, just physics that don't make any sense. Yeah, someone will like blow out the top floor of a uh, you know skyscraper in Dubai and like the safe they're trying to steal will fall like 30 floor- floors to the ground into a truck that then drives off. And there's these like jetpack uh, characters flying around trying to catch the thieves and stuff. It's just a really fun, over-the-top action Man, movie. I'm really interested in what that twist might be. In uh, our, don't yeah, spoil it. I don't it, want to spoil it if you're interested in this kind I of thing. I am interested. You you definitely piqued my interest. Yeah. And, you know, because it's an Indian movie, there's all these, like, music video, you know, breaks and, like, romance and some slapstick comedy. And it's just everything you want in, like, a night out at the movies. Yeah. Uh, it got terrible reviews. And it kind of bombed relative to like other bigger hits on that budget scale. Uh, so I might not be the most trustworthy person to talk about it. Because, I mean, people who watch these Indian movies more regularly would probably have like more nuanced take on it. But for me, just as like a dumb, big, loud action movie that sort of mixes every action film we've seen in the past decade into like one. Yeah. I mean, that's that's how I felt watching that 2.0 movie was like i've never really seen anything like this This right 
a bloated mess of fun. Yeah. I think 2.0 is still my favorite thing I've seen from that genre, but I'd lo- maybe we should do an episode on that kind of stuff sometime. Mm-hmm. It kind of sucks because the movies are like three hours long. They so are. Like- it, it's kind of hard to cram them in, but if you want a night out at the movies, uh, AMC Elmwood always has like one or two a week. And if you look for the sci-fi and action ones, they're usually really fun and over the top. Wait, has like Indian films? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I did not know that. Yeah, they're like in Hindi with English subtitles. Mm-hmm. And they, there's at least one or two in the theater almost every week there. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one earlier this year called Gully Boy about like an Indian rapper. All right, that sounds pretty bad. I want to see it. It's like Indian <laughs> 8 Mile. I, I got to check oh, it out. no. <laughs> Indian 8 Mile. Yeah, for three hours. That sounds oh. great. <laughs> I'll report <laughs> back. Sounds brutal, yes. <laughs> and I also rewatched um, The Devil and Daniel Johnston the night Daniel Johnston died. Uh, and that movie holds up exceptionally well. I listened to some of his music when I learned he passed away and it was hard. To yeah. All to the it. songs are about death and depression. <laughs> it does not, uh, but I think it helps you process it a little bit to like hear him talk about death. Cause it's always been on his mind. Yeah. And the first line of the movie is him filming himself in the mirror. And he says like, hello, I am the ghost of Daniel Johnston. And the last scene is him dressed up like Casper, the friendly ghost, like posing for the camera. I saw him with you, right? We went to that. I've seen a few at, times. Yeah. I think we went once at a uh, one eyed Jack's, and I remember he like was not in good shape physically and uh-huh. had a hard time remembering some of the words. Oh yeah, he had to like read them out of a binder. Yeah, but the audience was like singing his songs back to him. It was like really sweet and kind of sad. I think that was one of the first shows of like a touring act we saw after Katrina. It was like oh seven. It was mm-hmm. a long time ago. The movie is from around that time, and it like kind of talks about him as if he's already dead, even though he's like on camera sometimes. It, it's basically like his life is over because of this heavy medication he has to be on, yeah, for his like you know bipolar and schizophrenic disorders. Mm. So yeah, sad week, but the movie helped me like deal with it. The movie's fantastic. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it in a while, but yeah, it's one of my favorite music documentaries. I think it's like the first documentary I remember like falling in love with. We used to rewatch that in college like all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's good to revisit it and see like, oh, this is actually like a really well-made film. It's not just like I love the topic and that's why I was obsessive over it. Yeah, I feel like it's a really good introduction into him as an artist. Like most of the time I'd say like, oh, listen to the music first and then watch the documentary. But this is like a really good intro into like his art. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it was sad to hear he passed. Yeah, I don't even have anything else to say about that. I cried. Uh, This first like celebrity death I can remember crying over. It was rough. <laughs> well, still trying to puzzle through who Dan Johnston was when he was alive. And uh, now we're going to puzzle through who Jason Statham is. <laughs> <laughs> just as much of an enigma. Another mystery, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, we're just talking about a bunch of big dumb action movies that he was in. And all that's coming up to you right, right now. now. <laughs> do you picture yourself as a movie star? Because when I look at you, I see, I mean, a Watch lot of it. different things. What do you see? No, I, I just don't think, I don't think you see it. I don't think you feel like a movie star. Like a rubber. Do you see? Let him answer. No, you let, what do you see? I see gorgeous. I see tough guy. But I, but I don't see a guy who thinks he's a movie star. Interesting. Yeah, I don't. Well, we're, you know, we're just uh, doing a job that we love. And, uh, yeah. you know, if... If things go that way, you're not responsible for it. Yeah. So if if that all fell apart tomorrow, yeah. and you come to my house yeah. for Thanksgiving, and you're just a normal human being, um, what then would you go into if, if acting didn't work out? I'd probably be back on the corner selling perfume and jewelry. Yeah. <laughs> come on. So you're basically like a hustler at heart. So when I say that I don't know who Jason Statham is, really, I'm just talking about how 
he's been popping up a lot lately in these like self-satirizing roles uh-huh. like in Hobbs and Shaw, which I didn't like from this year, but in like other fast and furious movies, he's playing like a Jason Statham type or like in the expendables or in spy with Melissa McCarthy. He's like playing off of his reputation as like an action star of a certain type. And I don't really know what the source of that was. Like I didn't really see his come up. I mean, in the action scene. Honestly, I watched these three movies and I'm still confused. <laughs> I really like, I just don't understand why he is as big of a star as he is. I still don't get it. I think maybe I've kind you of can narrowed it me. down and it started with looking at him as a penis. <laughs> well, he's just like a sack of muscles. He's a bald man who wears a lot of turtlenecks and acts like a total dick. Like, in every movie, he is a mean, self-centered prick. And he looks like a prick. And he has no depth at all. Like, yeah. that's what I don't understand. I've started to get into it as he's like a tough guy. He's like a working oh, class yeah. guy that you might look at in a bar and be like, oh, this like bald middle-aged man is picking a fight with me. Not that I would ever have this attitude, but I can take, <laughs> I, I can take him in a fight. And then it turns out he's like a really tough motherfucker who's been through like a lot of shit and will break your face. Well, he seems like the kind of guy that you would like want to have a pint with. Right. But then like you would also want him on your side if you got into a bar fight. Yeah. I would say like barroom brawls are probably like his martial arts style. I do think he's specifically an English or like British type of right. character. I think that's part of why I didn't still don't quite get it. Like, yeah. why he's so popular? Because I, I think there's some culture difference that I'm. Yeah, you'd have to like hear the difference between like an, a posh London accent and like a North England like working class accent, right? To he's like, like get the it. The anti James Bond. Yeah, exactly. Uh, he's he's more like a guy you'll see at a pub, and not you know somebody who works for MI6 and like travels the world and all that other stuff. Right. So the first movie we went back to to sort of like investigate this, I picked. Mostly because I did not want to watch a Guy Ritchie movie. Like, the first two Jason Statham movies were... Snatch, Snatch and, and Lockstock, Two Smoking Barrel. Which, those movies were, like, really popular. Like, I guess when I was in high school, college, and I never got it. I don't like them. I don't. I never <laughs> understood why people liked them so much. It's, yeah. it's still a mystery to me. But Guy Ritchie did eventually make a movie I liked. He, he made The Man from Uncle a few years ago. And it's more of this like schnazzy Euro heist, like well-dressed movie. It's like weirdly horny and fashionable. But didn't he also make that terrible Madonna movie? Oh yeah. And, and he made Aladdin this year, which looked horrible. Oh, he did Aladdin. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this guy sucks. Well, dude. the man from uncle is a great film. Unfortunately, Jason Statham was not in it, <laughs> but he was in this movie called the bank job from 2008. Uh, and it feels like it's in that same wheelhouse as like the guy Ritchie stuff. Like, Everyone's smartly dressed. Uh, it's set in the 70s. Based on a true story, apparently. Uh, somewhat, from what I can tell. It's a heist film. It's like a Euro heist film, kind of like Man from Uncle or uh, Ocean's 12, which is a great film. Both of those movies are better than this one, I would say, out front. Uh, but if you ask people, like, what are Jason Statham's best performances, this movie comes up a lot. I don't necessarily know why. <laughs> I don't. I don't eat. With the other ones we watched... He is what he is. Like, it's just a straightforward action star. I feel like in this movie, they try to give him more, more humanity, more depth to his character. Like, he's married. He's got kids. 
but I don't think he is a good enough actor to really pull it off. And I never quite, he never quite felt like this every man Joe bloke that's, you know, working in a car shop and is married with kids. He yeah. just felt like Jason Statham playing this sort of character mechanic. Yeah. Uh, it did, guy. So I, I don't feel like he has the acting chops to pull off any sort of depth. I kind of get the appeal in that this is the one time where he's playing someone likable. Like yeah, he's kind true. of a charming guy who is being dragged into this heist as like one last job to like, you know, make sure his family is taken care of and he can like save mm-hmm. this failing mechanic shop that he works at. And, you know, basically like make a living wage off of the starter money that he would get from this heist job. But there's all these other characters that are like way up over him in the hierarchy that are using his working class, like Joe Blow status right. uh, to pull the heist off for their own benefit. So it's a lot different than him playing this like tough guy, asshole, macho brute, the way he is in these other action films. Um, this is not an action film. This is like definitely a heist film. It's based on a 1971 robbery of Lloyd's bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, these like people who have not been caught yet to this day, broke into Lloyd's Bank in London and stole a bunch of safety deposit boxes. The movie speculates that the reason this was done is because there were photographs of Princess Margaret in like a three-way in Trinidad. Very specific sex scandal for it to bring up, I believe fictionally. Uh, And also that members of like Parliament were into kinky S&M bondage type stuff and they had incriminating photos of them as well. And then there's this whole other plot about this like Trinidadian Malcolm, Malcolm X, X type. Uh, his name is Michael X in the movie, so they're not really trying to hide that. So that was the thing watching. I was like, "Whoa, this character! Like, where is this character coming from?" And then I was like, "Oh wait, it's based on a true story. I guess this is like a real guy that existed because that character seems so kind of racist and out of left field." I'm like, "Okay, if it's based on a real guy, I guess I can see that." But is it like how much of this, based on a true story, it's like you never really know. I do not know where the fictional stuff starts and like the real life stuff ends. I know it's based off of a real robbery, but there's all this like political intrigue and like political characters and basically the James Bond types that Jason Statham does not play are like using the working class as their like pawns to rob this bank so they don't get caught doing it. And none of the political stuff really meant much to me. I don't know if that's a cultural thing or I didn't really care. I liked that the movie was weirdly horny though. Like the S and M photographs and like the three way mm-hmm. uh, with the princess and one of the working class guys is like a porn actor and everyone comments on how large his dick is uh, every time they see mm-hmm. him. And for a movie that seems like kind of a basic cable dad film that you see in the middle of the afternoon. It was exceptionally horny. I liked that. I guess my my issue with it, though, is like, it's one of those movies where as soon as it's over, it's gone. Out of your head. Like, not gonna think about it. And I guess there, you know, there's a lot of movies like that, and that's the reason some people watch these kind of movies, but I was just sort of blankly staring at the screen. I was like, not bored, but I wasn't totally invested i was just kind of watching it happen and it sort of plays out exactly how you kind of think it is there's not a lot of surprises really and then it's over and you're like oh that was a a movie you know (laughs) i think it's like vaguely sexual there's a little bit of like james bond espionage 
I did like the British lingo. That is one thing. Like I watched with yeah. the subtitles on and some of the phrases they use I thought were very interesting. There was something about it like it's gone pear-shaped or right. Some, yeah. I wish I knew the uh, the structure, but uh, Cece knows this like linguistically. There's like a structure where they rhyme different words together. Instead of saying what they actually mean, they'll say like a, a rhyming word with it, and it mm-hmm. becomes like street lingo that way. Okay. Uh, but if you don't really know what they're talking about, it you have to like sort of assume it all out of context. But I mean, I can't think of any like dramatic exchanges in the film or anything that really stuck with me in any way. Is this like fair to call this a dad movie? Like it feels like it's vaguely macho but like dressed up fashionably and like is a fairly like well-made movie i guess yeah that yeah i i do agree with you i could see like a 50 year old guy watching this on a sunday afternoon just to pass the time yeah and being entertained i i think that's what i struggle with with this movie though is like it is competently made there's Mm -hmm. no doubt but it's competently made i feel like it's trying to make just a mid-grade c level movie and it like achieves that but can you really like give it any sort of accolades for just setting the bar so low and then achieving like kind of shrug my shoulders at it like okay. pretty decent cable movie like it seems like the kind of movie that will just like live on on like spike tv or something right it, there's just nothing really exceptional about it but it's fine uh, i liked seeing the softer side of statham here i think even in other heisty type films like this like even in Snatch and Lockstock or in um, The Italian Job, like I don't mm-hmm. think he's as likable of a guy as he is here. I hear you saying that he didn't pull it off in any exceptional way, but I didn't think he like biffed it either. Like he was he was fine. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but see, a movie we'll talk about later, Crank. Right. I kind of like when he really doubles down on the like macho asshole. Yeah. Because I feel like that's what he's good at. He's better at it. So yeah, this is him against type here, maybe. But I, I'm glad that he like it's trying to expand his range as an actor and a persona. I just didn't really buy it. <laughs> but whatever, like I said, it's a competently made movie that's mildly entertaining, right? And you know, it's a way to pass the time. <laughs> it's not something I'll like go back and rewatch multiple times. I agree, and yeah, I really only picked it because I hadn't seen a lot of Jason Statham movies, and this is supposedly one of his better vehicles and just watching it. I was like, this is totally fine. And he's doing like an average job uh, being a human being on the screen. As far as like we were talking about, I was completely made and direct and all that, but I did cringe a little bit. They, they overuse that, like the weird angles, you know, like the camera will be slightly askew or it's like, why like, this is such <laughs> a like middle of the road. Like, why are you trying to add these stylistic flourishes to a movie that doesn't need it at all and that's why i think oceans 12 and like man from uncle are better examples of the same genre like Mm -hmm. this like sexy euro heist genre they'll do the same thing like they'll be like a camera attached to a car door while it slams so the camera like whips with the door the oceans movies have all kinds of like camera trickery Mm -hmm. and stuff but there's just something more exciting about the content as well so like the form is matching the excitement of the other stuff uh exactly here is kind of like what you see is what you get you get these like working class schmoes who are pulling off a heist way above their heads because the government tricked them into it and no one wants to get caught doing it. And somehow they got away with it because of that. And yeah, that feels good. It's kind of like an underdog story. And you know, it's a, you know, like kind of a class thing too, like the yeah. working class being manipulated by the rich and powerful. 
And there's some mild sexiness and some like some good joking humor between lads down at the pub, and then it's just kind of <laughs> over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you summed it up. No, this was serious. I mean, we was filming uh, on the edge of the dock, on the edge of the Black Sea in Bulgaria, and I'm driving a big three-ton flatbed truck. Everybody's supposed to get on the back, slide. That whole little poster is supposed to be on the back of the truck. Yeah. And I said, before they get on, let me just do a little test drive. So I'm in the truck there, and I slam on the brakes where I'm supposed to stop. Nothing happens. Next thing you know, I've hit two cameramen. They've, I literally thought I'd killed them. It was like a split second later, I'm going nine feet over the edge of this sort of concrete uh, uh, jetty, and I'm going down towards the, like, the, the Black Sea, thinking, I've got to get out of this, this is ridiculous. So I'm trying to prise myself from behind the wheel to get out of the window. The windows are down. The what? truck hits the water. The water just slams me back, and we just like sinking fast, straight to the bottom. Well, now I want to talk about something I was actually excited about, which is the transporter from 2002. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Written by Luke Besson after he was um, inspired by BMW ads. <laughs> Wait, that's exactly what this movie feels like, too. Inspired by a car commercial. And this feels like Jason Statham, like, trying to do that, like, swarthy James Bond. So this came after the Guy Ritchie. Yeah. What, this was, like, his first star vehicle for right. him, right? And this feels like him doing, like, classic action star stuff, like... You know, the Stallone, Schwarzenegger, Chuck Norris, like, style action hero that came up in the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. This feels very late to the table with that kind of stuff, which is probably why I missed it when it first came out when we were in high school. Did not see these movies at all. But I watched all three Transporter movies this week, and I really liked them. I thought this was the best stuff we watched today. You watched all three? Yes, I did. You're a madman. <laughs> <laughs> so he's dressed up like a James Bond type. He, like he, He's not wearing a tuxedo, but he's wearing, like, a nice crisp suit and he drives around in these like fancy cars and he's got his driving gloves and yeah i i love this canon of movies about drivers you know driver baby driver drive but how they're so particular and like he's the exact same way in this movie it's like he only goes by the contract and yeah well he's still an asshole in this movie but he is an asshole who is a nerd and like lives by these like rules he has like a, a code of ethics you don't change the deal once you've made the deal. I don't want to know your name. And I'll deliver anything without opening the package. I don't know want, want to know what I'm delivering. Which he does break. He that breaks rule. every rule. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, basically he long story short gets tricked into human trafficking in this movie. He's like transporting a package that is a East Asian woman locked up in a like body uh, bag mm. in his trunk. And because he is such a stickler for his rules. He doesn't immediately set this woman free. He just like continues to drive down the road delivering yeah, the package. I had a so that was a big problem I had is like he realizes he's transporting a human, but you know, he still is gonna do the deal. The only reason he goes back is because his clients try to kill him. Right. They send they're like, Oh, we have one more package for you and then he stops at the gas station, his car blows up, and he's like, Oh shit, they're trying to assassinate me and then he goes back. And he doesn't even rescue the girl. He kills all these people, and the girl like hides in, in his the, car. In his car. So he, even then, he's not doing the right thing. He's a monstrous asshole criminal. In this. But then she sleeps with him. Yeah, it's great. No, that's the one that doesn't make any sense. Like Why? she realizes that he's like this lonely nerd 
who like lives in this like coastal <laughs> home by himself I, and has no outside contact with the world. I yelled at the screen when she like got undressed <laughs> and made a move on. Like, I think she why? knows exactly what she's doing. Like a few scenes earlier, she starts trying to make herself useful around his house. Like she makes some pastries and like that was, cleans that was up. Cute. Yeah. Like she knows that she's less likely to be discarded if she can like but she's just her, like her way into his like ice cold heart but she's just like asian infantilized like cutesy sort of character yeah. i just i don't really have the stomach for that anymore well you start to see her as a victim at first like you see her as this like person that's being trafficked around and then as you go on you start to realize she's actually this like intellectual privileged right son of like a diplomat who is using her leverage and her privilege in that position to free people who are being trafficked uh, lower down the economic ladder. Mm -hmm. I think she knows that she's being used and like passed around as an object and sort of uses that to her advantage at some points and eventually gets her goal. She frees people from being trafficked around. It's gross and he's gross (laughs) and it's written by Luke Besson, who is a rapist and gross (laughs) He directed Lay on the Professional and Which is gross. And Fifth Element has a little bit of that too. Yeah. But yeah, like I think he likes those kind of female characters. And I'm not gonna disagree with any of that. I think that this is a late addition to a type of action movie that I really enjoy though. If Jason Statham had come up in the time of Schwarzenegger and Stallone and all the other expendables, it would have been a little different. Okay. I think this is my the central question or the thing I wanted to ask you about because you're comparing him to Stallone or I would say he's more like a Jean-Claude Van Damme. Damme. But watching all these movies, my question was like, does he have charisma or is he a charisma vacuum? Like, cause like Bruce Willis is a good comparison where he does this like every man, but he has a certain charisma where like he feels like an every man, but you could also empathize with him. And all the other people you named Stallone, even Jean-Claude Van Damme have this, they're like oozing charisma where I like, I never get that sense from Jason Statham. Do you think he actually has charisma? I think he is just a tough guy archetype. Like he's a very specific kind of tough guy. Um, and in this movie, they lean into that and in making him like a closed person. He's like trying not to get sucked into other people's lives. And he like mm-hmm. wants to be left alone and have this like ice cold heart that no one in the world can touch. So he's like trying not to have charisma. He's trying not to have a personality in this movie. And I find it really funny that people keep drawing him out of these like rules. Like that's, Uh that's the arc of the film. That's what changes is he starts off like this asshole who does not break the rules, Mm -hmm. even when it is the clearly the moral thing to do. (laughs) And by the end of the movie, he's wearing these like polo shirts and pretending to be this like woman's husband and like, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. lying and, playing dress up to like uh, help her cause. And I, I think it's really charming in that way. Like, I don't think he's doing much in this movie personality wise, mm-hmm. but I really like how her sort of over the top persona in trying to draw him out of the shell sort of reluctantly works over time. I will say what worked for me putting his like performance aside is like the action scenes in this are really well choreographed and staged and very fun. And that's what I'm saying is the holdover from a different era. Yeah. Like that feels like an old style of action star that we don't see often anymore. But I think my problem, there wasn't enough. Like there's a lot in the last like 20 minutes and there's a few 
action pieces sporadically throughout, but like the action scenes work. Everything else for me didn't really work. I wanted way more action. Like just give me like 80% just action. Well, let's, let's talk about the action, right? Someone fires a rocket launcher at his home. Yes. And then that was badass. Him and his <laughs> yes. hostage turned girlfriend uh, escape underwater with like scuba gear when that happens. Yep. That's awesome. all good. And then yep. they immediately have sex off screen of course, after that yeah. because that's what you do after a rocket launcher is fired at you. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, there's a close quarters hallway fight around that time where he fights off like 20 people by himself in this like pretty well choreographed martial arts sequence, I would mm-hmm. say. Later in the film, there's an even longer series of fight scenes in this like warehouse. Uh, part of it is in a train car that's like derailed, uh, and that's more close quarters fighting. That's like actually like physically difficult to do, mm-hmm. uh, and it looks really cool. And then the best the fight oil. in this whole movie: he rolls on the ground while he's fighting twenty guys, <laughs> takes his shirt off. There's a lot of shirtless Jason Statham in these movies. Like you're supposed to find his like muscly body sexually attractive. Well, yeah. And to accentuate that, he pours this vat of oil on his body. So he's all slippery, so nobody can, can grab, grab him. him. And then he put he straps these like bicycle pedals to his feet so he can walk around on the oil yeah. uh, when everyone else is slipping around and can kick them in the face with the pedals uh, as like an extra badass. Weapon. That is it's some g- over the top action. That's great. Yeah, and I do love too that like. Because you can't have your star just covered in oil for the rest of the movie. So then they just shoot him out into the water <laughs> so he can get cleaned up. And then, you know, he comes back and he's like, like he freshly showered. And I will say in Transporter 2 and 3, Transporter 3 is pretty boring. But there is a callback to the oil scene. Like he oils up one arm so someone can't grab him. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> in Transporter 2... The whole film is about uh, these like Eastern Europeans are trying to assassinate this like American drug czars, like political pundits, um, child. Whatever. So there's this <laughs> Eastern European lingerie model who's wearing like almost no clothes, just these like lacy lingerie pieces in public, shooting at a child, and they go on forever. It's these long sequences of that, and there's more driving. Like he'll do kind of like that Saho thing, that Indian blockbuster thing, mm-hmm. where he like jumps his car into the air to grab a briefcase before it explodes or like there's a scene where he gets in a fight on an airplane and the airplane's crashing in this like really cheap CGI that gets so unbelievable that it's like surreal. So I, I think I most appreciate these movies for this like sort of old fashioned action sequences. Oh yeah. I could see you saying there's not enough cause there's a lot of downtime. Yeah. Especially in the middle of this movie, I knew it was getting somewhere. So it still held my attention, but it's like, dude, can we just get to blowing some shit up? That's what I want to see, because he can't carry a movie just on, again, his like personality and charisma. I will say Transporter 2 maybe has more action. I might, I might check that one out. It's fun. If Just watching a lingerie model shoot a gun at a child in public. Oh, well, that just sounds fantastic. <laughs> I need to see that. And then uh, in this one, I think a lot of the downtime, you're supposed to be impressed with these like nice cars that he's driving. I don't think you and I are car people. Like We don't care about cars. Not really. Also, this is from what, like 1999? 2002. Or 2000. So yeah. they're like, they're the cars. cars are like 16, 17 years old. Oh, that's true too. Like, but if you read the Wikipedia, they like mention each car model that he drives. It's yeah. like, oh, the B- BMW 2000 series and stuff. It's like, I don't know what that is or care. Yeah, I mean, I thought his his car in the beginning, that BMW, was like pretty nice. But I'm not like, ooh, a BMW. <laughs> like, It's like, oh, that's a cool looking car. Where, but like Fast and the Furious, you're like, holy shit, those are some 
right. badass cars. And in that one, they jump from building to building and stuff, which I think Transporter 2 matches more the Fast and Furious style of like I, the, action. The one thing with the car I did like where he jumps like off a bridge and he lands on one of those <laughs> tow trucks that Beautiful. carries multiple cars. Yeah. And then he like shoots the lever that releases the huh. car to knock the cops off of his trail and like love it. That's great. I love action, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And yeah, maybe some of the lulls were supposed to care more about his action stuff, but maybe I don't know. I, I think in uh, two as well, uh, I should mention this. Uh, his clothes get stripped off at some point in like a fight, good like, damaged. Uh, you know, so you could see Jason Statham's body and enjoy it. And then he goes into the trunk of his car and he has another suit ready to go, like folded up in a little plastic bag so he can take it <laughs> off and get dressed again. Uh, oh, man. He's like a cartoon character. Before we stop talking about this, I do have to mention, though, the music in this movie, I thought, was some of the worst music I've heard in any film, definitely any action film. It was truly awful. A lot of it was just like bass and like a drum machine or like they had some hip hop songs that were doing like record scratches and it sounds like DVD menu music. Like it doesn't sound like actual licensed music. It sounds like something you hear in a commercial. It was distracting. I was like, this is so bad. Like these action scenes would be going on and then there's just this like plotting baseline that has no life. Well, I, I appreciate how corny and outdated it is, though. It is corny and outdated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And this does feel like classic Statham. This feels like what he came up doing. Maybe at the time it felt cooler. This is like 17 years later. Wait, so this came before or after Bank Job? This was uh, before, before, right? Yeah. yeah. Was it before Crank? Yes. Okay. Uh, Crank was in 2006. And that was what you chose for us to watch today. Yeah. Uh, tell me about Crank. I, the reason I was thinking about it, actually, um, a while back I watched... Did you see that Hardcore Henry movie that came out? Really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's trying to be a video game, first person, perspective, all that. I really liked it, and I'm glad it failed, because if they made a movie like I that every year, of those, I'd be really. disgusted with it, yeah. But while I was watching, I was like, man, this is like... It reminded me of Crank. Mm-hmm. And Crank is essentially like a video game kind of premise turned to a movie where these criminals like hook... Like a, it's like a bomb to his heart. Well, in the first one, they poison him. Yeah. Uh, and the poison makes it so that his heart rate can't go, get below a certain beats per minute or he'll die. Yeah. Kind of like speed or like... Yeah, it's like a speed sort of gimmick. It seems like a also a uh, Larry Cohen gimmick. You and I talked about a bunch of mm-hmm. Larry Cohen movies recently. Similarly in that same vein. So he basically has to keep his heart rate up or he's going to die. So And he's also like trying to track down these people and... And kill them, but so it has its like gimmicky premise. But in high school, when I first saw this, I loved it. And then rewatching it, some of it's not aged particularly well. It's so gross. It's gross. Politically, this movie is a trash fire. Yeah. I think you have to put that aside going into I mean, it's of its time. Yeah. It's like early 2000s. And I think it is really trying to be edgy, like trying really hard to be edgy. There's two actors from It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia in this, mm-hmm. which kind of clues you into that like edgy, like bro-y humor that's yeah. afoot in the film. Yeah, you know, and there's uh, like a scene where he's like having sex with this woman to like keep his heart rate up while he's like having the shootout and stuff. Which I've seen in other movies. That was in Shoot 'em Up and that Shoot was em up in had that Drive too. Angry. 
in this case though it's not really consensual sex like he starts to undress her and start fucking her in public and she's like no no stop and then she kind of gets in the mood once he gets going and then he can't get it up and then like the movie like celebrates him finally getting an erection where like these Asian schoolgirls start tittering. I know it's fucked up. (laughs) I I think there is like an argument to be made though. Like the unintentional ickiness of the gender politics in transporter being like an oversight is maybe somehow worse than like in this case where they're purposefully being gross and macho. Yeah. Like I don't think crank would fly in 2019 at all, but it was just a different, political climate back then and 2006 is it that different i i don't know i say that yeah it's a it's a gross movie yeah but, <laughs> uh, let, okay it's hard to put that aside yeah that is like a big we haven't gotten into the racial stereotypes or the homophobic I, slurs it's all there it's all crank two starts with him shoving a shotgun up someone's ass and like raping them with it while he's like pressuring him for information oh man it's hard it's hard to defend it i just want to get it all out up front no, and it, it makes it hard to defend after you said all that. Yeah. It's like, but, <laughs> but <laughs> all that aside, this is my favorite Statham because, like I said, it really doubles down on what I think he naturally exudes is that like asshole machismo thing. And it gives him like a really fun gimmick. And I like that there's a lot of humor in it. It hasn't aged well, but it's trying to be funny. It's, it's very trying Looney Tunes, to, like cartoonish, over yeah, the top stuff. And the way it's shot too, it's very like very much like a video game. Like there's all these shots of like his heart. It just has a lot of adrenaline, a lot of action. It's nonstop action. And it is, again, I think it's a product of its time. It hasn't aged super well, but I do think it's a fun it's just a fun movie. You're right in the fact that like he is a dick in all these movies. Like even in the transporter, when he's supposed to be the hero, he's a dick who like won't go back on his rules to like save someone's life, even though it would take the minimal amount of effort. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this movie, he's a dick, and you still are kind of celebrating him for it. It's like, yeah, get that blowjob while you have a shootout in your car. Uh, the movie does emasculate him a few times. Like he gets naked in public and shamed, and like uh, his girlfriend won't finish the blowjob so that his heart rate will stay up and he won't get sleepy after. And he's like, Oh, come on. Uh, which, you know, it's gross in its own way, but at least he's like being, uh, um, the whole not getting an erection. Right. Right. Thing too. He's being emasculated in a way that's not like heroic all the time, but I feel like you are supposed to celebrate him a little bit. And I still see how the movie acknowledges that he's an asshole though. It and does, yeah. I think it works better in movies where he's a villain. Like, in, in the Fast and Furious series, he was introduced as a villain, and he worked really well in it. By the time in Hobbs and Shaw, he's become part of the family, and him and The Rock are just trading insults and acting like assholes the whole movie, and just kind of, like, sours the mood after a while. It's like, how am I supposed to have fun when these people just keep joking about how the other one doesn't have a dick? Uh, like, it, it just kind of, like, the mood gets really, like, gross and, like, bitter. Mm-hmm. In this one, the mood's at least light, but I think it would work better if you were supposed to see him like as a villain outright. I think this goes to the whole idea of like an anti-hero because he is supposed to be an anti-hero, but I'm trying to think of it. Well, like Stone Cold Steve Austin to bring in like a wrestling example. Like yeah. That's a perfect anti-hero where he's like just kind of a badass dude that doesn't give a shit and he drinks beer and he flips off his boss and 
but he you still root for him because he's like an everyman and he's never like punching down it's always punching up yeah but like in like jason statham in this movie he's an anti-hero but he just like treats everyone like even people below him like shit yeah like, and you can't really root for that and i think it's the movie hard wants to. you to root for him it too. does and most of what he does in the film is drive around the city beating up minorities like he that, goes in like the blast the black part of town and beats up all the black people and then he goes <laughs> into the hispanic part of town and beats up all the hispanic people it's gross and it's uncomfortable but i do really like the visual style Vi- yeah did you see mom and dad the Nick Cage movie? Yeah, yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. It's from the same directors, Neville Dean and Taylor. Oh, it this. is? Oh. And great. I think they use that same, like, hyperactive editing style with, like, all the, like, digital-grade cameras and, like, weird angles and just never giving your brain a second to rest. Uh, yeah. I think they did a really good job in that movie using that for a particular purpose. A more interesting... Per- well, I think the reason I like this one the most is... The way I'm judging these films is like the action. Yeah. You know, all the other stuff is kind of secondary. And so, again, that's why I wasn't super high on Transporter because I really liked the action. I didn't feel like there was enough of it. Whereas Crank, some of the side stuff and the political stuff and the offensive gross out, it's, yeah, it's very icky. But the action itself and the way the film is shot and edited... I thought was pretty fun. And it had a lot of, like you said, hyperactive cuts and this like adrenaline fueled. And some of it's shot like kind of seems like on a handheld or it's like kind of grimy. It like looking. skateboarding videos. Or yeah. And security like, footage. and Yeah. And I so I loved all that. And I loved the action too. So I was willing to put aside some of this other stuff. I think Crank had the highest highs and the lowest lows. That I would... Totally agree with that. Yes. And just sort of averaged out in this like experience where I was like, I don't know what to do with it. And I will say Crank 2 had been sold to me as like the better version of the same story. See, I, I've never seen Crank 2. I don't like it. I think it's worse. Really? Uh, the gimmick in that one is instead of his heart rate can't drop below a certain thing, he has to like get shocks of energy from electricity to like charge his heart. Which, what does that even mean? Like... the like true the adrenaline stuff in the first one makes a lot of sense and, yeah. and the second one is like okay every now and then he has to shock his heart but that's just like a regular interval of time and not like a constant need to keep the pace up so i didn't really understand the appeal of that change that's not a good gimmick and just like i guess maybe by that time the assault of like all the different great stuff and gross stuff just sort of like numbed me out Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think there's anything in that movie that isn't done better in the first crank film. So I don't know why people like that one more. Maybe I missed something. I will say transporter two. I liked just as much, if not more than the first transporter. So is that your favorite Statham? Those two together. Yeah. The two transporters. Yeah. And if I wanted to expand on that, like the ones I had already seen, I'd say spy is great. Statham with Melissa McCarthy. Even though there's not a lot of action in that movie. It's just very funny. And so he's kind of like poking fun at his own persona. Yeah. And uh, Furious 7 and Fate of the Furious uh, were both very good Fast and Furious movies that he was in. Hmm. So yeah, I like him as this like gruff, old-fashioned action star that like arrived 10 years too late to uh, participate in the style of movies that he was coming up in. Like I think Transporter is maybe why I missed it is because it felt like it was a little old hat by the time it came out. But 
it fits in with the style of like over the top macho action films that I enjoyed growing up. So do you think that that genre is kind of dying or? Yeah, I think Fast and Furious is like what is holding up that mantle at this point. Well, Maybe Mission Impossible you can throw in there as well. Uh, Mission Impossible different, is different. Like that's I think that's more on the side of like a more smartly written. It's not like going back to the eighties, the dumb macho yeah. action flick, the Schwarzenegger type movies that we grew up on. Yeah, the only action star really I can think of that could take that mantle would be The Rock, Vin Diesel. Statham and Vin Diesel are kind of that middle tier, and all three of them are in the Fast and Furious movies together. There so you go. I think that is the series. It's a little different, though, because it is multi-ethnic and multi-gendered and travels the world and appeals to people from all over the world. Whereas the Reagan-era stuff from like Schwarzenegger was basically like a hard, conservative, macho fantasy. Well, and that that's part of Crank that bothered me, too, is like, again, we're talking about how these are... Was that a British production too, or I think it's American. American, yeah. But it, I don't know. Just with the whole Brexit and like being scared of minorities coming in to your community, it, it was a little icky seeing this like, like you said, white dude going around just beating up all the minorities. Come on, yeah. Really? <laughs> and then even in Transporter, he's got almost this like metrosexual cleanliness and like. Uh, city boy like suit that he wears uh-huh. it's not like schwarzenegger bulging out of those like ripped sweaty tank tops in the country you know in the, like uh commando or something well and also he's like schwarzenegger was like huge huge yeah save them is like he's definitely ripped you know but he's not that like i feel like we've gone away from that body type even in like wrestling they don't really go for those giant roided out right now you have the champ is like seth rollins as opposed to like a hulk hogan or ultimate warrior it's a body you could aspire to have it's not like a cartoon body it's one that's actually like in shape and fit not just like oh this person's gonna die of a heart attack at 50 and i think statham actually cares about fight choreography too like i think he does um doesn't he do all his own stunts and choreography it seems like he does yeah it doesn't cut away a lot. You actually see him throwing punches and taking hits. And no, stuff. and he he looks good doing it. He does. Yeah. yeah. I just think maybe he's better suited to play villains than he is to play heroes. It, he worked for me in Cellular. He doesn't have a lot of lines in that movie, but he's like an imposing asshole. Oh man, I did like Cellular. Yeah, and Furious Seven, he plays an asshole villain too, and he's good in that. Yeah. So maybe that's like his strong suit, but I, I do kind of like him trying to revive this like old hat past its prime action genre that maybe died with the expendables maybe is being repurposed with fast and the furious, but he, he caught like the last wave of it. Mm-hmm. And those first two transporter movies were fun for me in that way. Crank feels like a more of a new weirdo genre coming up out of this like multimedia digicam mm-hmm. kind of feel. And I've liked that aspect of it, but maybe not other aspects as much. Yeah. So this was pleasant. This is like, there's like light viewing for me. Maybe the end of the summer is kind of how I describe this episode in yeah. general. I didn't hate anything we watched. I mean, I mean, the bank job was the least interesting thing we watched. I would but, say, but like I say, it was like mildly entertaining. I wasn't bored. Yeah, it was fine. So, no, I, I mean, I don't hate on Statham. I guess my only, I, and maybe because you've seen Spy, you know, like Vin Diesel did, like The Nanny, and you know, Hogan had his. I think he had Mr. Nanny. So like 
or like the rock had the tooth fairy the rock the tooth fairy like where i want statham to like kind of go outside the box and do like a comedy like it went is spy basically that or yeah, is it but he's not goofy in it he's playing like i guess in those movies that happen a lot too he's still playing this gruff macho but he's brute. in this absurd situation yeah. and in that movie he's kind of joking about his past missions He's like, oh, yeah, I fell out of an airplane while punching a shark the entire way to the water. What have you done in your life? Uh, so <laughs> it's, it's sort of like he's playing off of these old over-the-top action scenes and stuff like the transporter right. uh, that's happened off screen. So, yeah, it's sort of poking fun at his, like, milieu. And that was my first real introduction where I paid I'll, attention I'll have to, to check that one out. Yeah, it's really funny. I'm going to check that out in Transporter 2. <laughs> I feel like I'll have a... Better understanding of Statham. And that when he's paired up with this little kid that he's supposed to be like transporting around and the kid's like, uh, you promised you wouldn't let them hurt me. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like ladies shooting machine guns at him. It's great. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we post once a day on swampflix.com. In two weeks, me and Brittany will come back and talk about Downton Abbey. It's British. It's basically like Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. And then after that, we'll get into some Halloween stuff in the next couple episodes. Ooh, spooky. Spooky. <laughs> we'll see you in a couple weeks. Right. Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye.